Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you here. Um, we are in a series called You Ask For It. If you are new here this morning, let me just say, uh, you may find that an odd title, but we're actually in week seven. We asked our congregation to submit some questions that you have about Bible and culture and how the two of them maybe go together, or in many cases, how they clash. Uh, this week's question is that so many people ask. It's not a controversial question, but it is um, a question I think a lot of people deal with. In fact, I've had a number of people in my office over the years sit and just weep over this question. The, the question that was asked over and over again is, how do I get beyond my shame and my guilt? The comments that were written on those cards is, I can't seem to move forward. I can't seem to shake it off. I seem to always get trapped. Every time I try to move forward, I, I just feel like the guilt and shame just washes over me. Will there ever be a time, Donald, will there ever be a time that I could be set free from all of that stuff? In fact, right in the very beginning of the Bible, it, it talks about it. The world was created, that was created with no shame. And then in chapter 3, we find two people who made a mistake, Adam and Eve, and they sinned. And the Bible talks about they recognize their sinfulness and their nakedness, and they began to try to clothe themselves, and they try to hide from God. Before there was no shame, and then all of a sudden shame appeared, and they try to hide from God, much like we do in 2020. Shame and guilt are powerful forces. They're, they're like a scarlet letter. It causes us to think that we're not worthy of God's acceptance, we're not worthy of God's purposes, not worthy of God's plan. Shame causes us to feel like we are uh, damaged goods beyond any ability to be repaired. And it causes us to hide from God. It causes us to hide from people. We, we hide uh, behind people. We hide behind our accomplishments so nobody will know what we've done or what's been done to us. And shame can, and guilt can keep you locked up in a prison where the door has no key to unlock it for you. And for some of us, it feels like we're in a life sentence because maybe something that happened in the past and we just feel the shame and the guilt. And God says, believe it or not, God says you can live a life that is free from shame and guilt. God has a freedom plan for you. He has a plan to free you from you and to bring you home to him and, and give you peace and bring back what the enemy has stolen from your life. See, God is not hung up by the dilemma of your past. Sometimes we think that, that God's hung up because we're hung up. No, no, no. He is not hung up by the dilemma of your past. In John chapter 4, there's this very interesting story. If you grew up in church, you've heard the story uh, uh, dozens and dozens of times. If, if you're new to church, maybe this will be the first time you ever heard it. But there's a story in John chapter 4 that says that Jesus had to go to the village of Sakaar. Like he had to go. Um, yeah, for those who um, are new, let me just give you a little bit of cultural background. Sakaar is in Samaria. Jews and Samarians do not mix. There's a cultural clash. Um, there, it's not like a hate-love relationship because there's no love at all. It's just kind of a hatred toward them. But Jesus says, I gotta go there. I gotta go there. 
See, God loves people, and he's at home wherever he goes in this world. And he has a freedom plan for everybody that's on planet Earth. And he has come to set the captives free. He sees a future for everybody. So he doesn't mind showing up in any part of town. The story tells us he, he was thirsty, and he goes to the well, and there's a woman. It's interesting. The Bible says it's noontime. Why is that so important? Well, if you study that part of history, you find out women would go get water at the well in the, uh, in the early morning when, they, when it was cool, not in the heat of the sun. And so here's this woman coming at noontime to get the water. Now, you may think, oh, maybe she was like getting the chores done for the day. No, actually, there's more to it. For a lot of us, we kind of know the end of the story. But when she was going at noon, it's because she was trying to avoid some people. Because something was up. She was trying to hide something. And then Jesus engages this woman in conversation. A couple of no-nos right off the bat. First of all, in this culture, a man doesn't just openly talk to a woman. Forget about it being a woman. It's a Samaritan woman. Samarian woman of all things. And he begins to engage in this conversation with her. And what's happening? Do you know what's happening? God is beginning to unfold a freedom plan for this woman. And, and, and verse 7 of chapter uh, 4 of John, it says that Jesus says, you know, he talks about thirsty, and he says to the woman, I'm thirsty, would you give me a drink? Now, I think at that moment, every time I read that story, I kind of wonder, because a cultural norms are being crossed here, this is not normal, I'm kind of wondering, she's thinking, oh my, wait, am I being taped, or am I being watched? Am I being set up for something? Because... Don't you know I'm a Sumerian woman? You're a Jew. You're not supposed to be talking to people like me. But this is the beginning of a life-changing dialogue that's going to set a lady free. Because he says, as they're talking about being thirsty and, and how she comes to the well, and he finally says, you know what, I have something that will trump every thirst in your life. I can give you something that is so satisfying to your very core, even if you have nothing else in your life. Well, of course, when Jesus says that, she's like, well, what is it? I want it. Like, where can I go get this water? I mean, she's thinking, I'll never have to come back here again to the well. Tell me what it is. Where can I go to get it? And just before Jesus tells her, he says, well, go get your husband and I'll tell him too. And see, we discover in the story, we're told that she she didn't have a husband, but she had five before and the one that she was with now. So it's like Jesus saying, I know about husband number one. I know about Brad. I know about John. I know about Carter. I know about Owen. I know about Peter. And I know about the boyfriend you have now, Garrett. I know everything about you. And I think at that moment, she starts scrambling. Which, by the way, I would too if everything was exposed. I would be just like her. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be trying maybe trying to change the subject because he's just exposed everything about her that she's trying to hide. And then she goes on in the conversation, I see that you are a, a, a prophet. I think when she says that, in my mind, I picture her saying it nervously, <laughs> like trying to change the subject. You know that nervous laugh? Like, <laughs> hey, I hear you're a prophet. And, and I know there's a Messiah coming, and he'll come and he'll explain everything to us Right? Just like you're explaining everything about my life. And then he says, get a load of this. When he's talking to her, he says, well, actually, I am he. Everything changes at that moment at the well. Radically, gloriously, her life changes. A woman who has five strikes against her and one more on the way. 
At that moment, she is set free. In church history, if you study a little bit about it, tradition is that she became a martyr because of her influence for Jesus Christ. How does that happen? How does someone with such a messy, messy past get set free? Well, first of all, I think you've got to lean into what God says, who God is, and lean into what God says, who you are. How do you get set free from your past? It's not by some secret little booklet that you read. It's stepping back from what the world is telling you and leaning into what Jesus says is true about you. And do you know what is said about those? who are in Christ. In fact, it's recorded for us in Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now, currently present, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None, none, no condemnation. In fact, don't we learn that Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world? That was not his main mission to come here to condemn the world. He came that the world may be set free and have life and have it more abundantly. To get past your past, we're gonna have to acknowledge and face the past. And I know that sounds like odd advice. I mean, aren't we supposed to try to forget our past? <laughs> but the thing is, people have been trying to do that for a lot of years, and it's not working. You can't forget your past because it is your past. It is my past. It's part of my life. It's part of my story. You just can't erase chapter 3 out of my life. It doesn't mean I have to like the past, but it's your story, and it will always be part of your story. We're always trying so hard to run away from the past. We try so hard to get away from all the guilt and the shame, but before we know it, we're tangled right back into it again. So how do you get free from it? Well, not by saying that it never happened. I tell people, stare it down. That is me, and that is part of my story. I may not like that part of my story, but if we, bec if we become afraid of our past, we'll be pulled right back into it again. See, Jesus knew in that conversation with that woman, there was no way going forward until she owned up to her past. Because he could have said, hey, you're right, I'm the Messiah, believe in me. Matter of fact, let's, let's pray right now, let's get this thing done. He could have. But he said, no, no, go get your husband. And her freedom story, there's this part where she really has to embrace her past and honestly, I have so much compassion for this lady because we're talking about a, a time in history, this would be just unbelievable shame, almost feeling like she was just a rag being thrown around. Five marriages? And now, living with someone else? I mean, you just imagine the mental, the physical, the emotional, the spiritual toll that she has gone through. And God wanted to bring her into a future with freedom. But it wasn't going to happen by just ignoring her past. Here's what I take away from the story. God knows your past. He knows my past, and he still <laughs> offers us a future. No matter how messy your past has been, no matter how messy your present life is, he already knows everything about you. There's no reason to hide from him. And even with all the information that he has on us, he still offers us freedom. Because he's got a freedom plan for all of us where we move from the old into the new. The plan is not back there. It's here. 
the old way, the new way, the old covenant, the new covenant. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5.17, right, the old is gone, the new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. He recognized what was before what we understood what is. So this is what I tell people all the time. This is what I have to remind myself all the time. When my past maybe comes up, maybe some things I've said or done, I have to constantly consider the cross of Christ. Now, maybe some of you would say here, well, yeah, I believe in the cross. In fact, I even wear, you know, a chain that has a cross on it. I believe in that. But I don't know if we have fully grasped all that was won on that cross. See, when I look at the cross, I see my past on the cross. Full freedom from my past because of the cross. All that shame, all that guilt thrown on the cross, carried by the cross. All the disappointments, all the abuse, all the slander, everything that I've ever done is on the cross, and everything that has ever been done to you is on the cross because that's someone else's sin that is on that cross. The Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God. And let me tell you, God makes no garbage. You were custom designed by the hand of God. And the value of something is determined by the willingness of what someone is willing to pay. My value is not determined by the mess that I've made with my life, but by the price that Jesus actually paid. In Christ, we are valuable. In Christ, we are unconditionally loved and I have problems loving some people and you do too unconditional I want to talk to the person here this morning who has their past is messy maybe your present is messy and you have a hard time believing that God could love you I get it I really do I get it and we have a God in heaven who is much bigger than the mess that we have made. And the price that he has paid is bigger than the mess that we have made. In Christ, not only are we valuable, in Christ we are unconditionally loved. You, you, you think of, of the Bible, look at all the different characters uh, in the Bible. So many of them had messy lives. Uh, Sometimes we refer to them as Bible heroes, but in many ways they weren't heroic at all. Think of Samson. I mean, he had a past of being a womanizer. And then God used him to defeat the enemy of Israel. Think of Peter, who literally, just after Jesus had been arrested, denied Jesus three times within 24 hours. I don't know the man, never seen him. Don't point at me, I don't know the guy. Well, what about uh, Noah? He, he, you know, he, gets, he um, grows a vineyard. He gets, the Bible tells us he gets drunk. He runs around naked. And he curses out his grandson. What? And God can use somebody like that past? Abraham took matters into his own hands. David murdered and committed adultery. Paul killed the followers of Jesus. Thomas was the biggest doubter of all. And God used every one of them. Despite their past. That's called the grace of God. That's the grace of God. In Christ, we are unconditionally loved. In Christ, we are com completely valuable. And in Christ, we are completely forgiven. 
Every single person that you read about in the Bible, every single one of them, need it to be forgiven by God. And if he did it then, let me tell you, he'll do it again today. In Christ, we are completely forgiven. But do you know why we always feel so condemned? I, I think this is why so many people still, even though they know these verses that talk about that you have been set free, and that there's no condemnation. But you know why I think that we still feel condemned so often? Because we know who we really are. We, know not, we not only know the sins that we've committed that everybody knows about us, we know all the sins that nobody knows about that we've committed. And because we know who, the really, who we really are, we think, I don't know if God could really forgive that. In fact, we always think if some people knew who I really was and what I've done in my past, they would not even love me. So I think that's why sometimes we feel um, condemned. Another reason I think people feel con condemned is because of social media. I mean, we see everybody else's highlight reel, right? You, you, when you see someone picture, uh, put a picture on Facebook, it's always like the child is perfect, the house is perfect, the meals are perfect, the yard is perfect. But nobody tells you that there was 100 photos had to be taken in the right light or the right angle to produce that. Right? In fact, when you're in a group photo, be honest, when you're in a group photo, we determine how good that photo is by how we look. Isn't that true? In fact, do we not just go looking for us in the crowd? Oh, there, I, oh, I don't like that picture. Can we do a retake? Well, that's true. It's true. And so oftentimes, because we're comparing ourselves to other people, we feel like we're underachievers. We feel condemned because of what we know about ourselves. We feel condemned because we don't, we don't add up. We don't compare to other people. That's why we've got we've to instill it in our hearts. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now, now, right now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No condemnation. See, the thing is, he knows about the adultery years ago. He knows about that. He knows about the abortion he knows about that. He knows about when you cheated on that exam. He knows about that, you know, years ago when you went across town to hook up with somebody for a night. He knows about the slander that you passed on. He knows about the late night computer search when nobody was watching for a little bit of excitement. He knows about all the things that nobody else knows. And yet you and I are completely forgiven of our past because of the cross. Listen, all of us have dents. Um, but my identity is not found in my dents. My identity is found in the death of Jesus on the cross. Last week we touched on the story in John chapter Eight. Remember the woman that was caught in adultery? We talked about that briefly. We, we know the story. Uh, it wasn't just rumors. It wasn't just on Facebook. Uh, just wasn't town gossip, but they actually found the woman in bed with another man. They grabbed her, and they take her, and they make her stand in front of the entire crowd. <laughs> her Everything about her life has been exposed to everybody. And I read that story this week, and something just clicked. I'd never seen this before. What does Jesus do? Here's the woman who's committed adultery. You know what Jesus does? He kneels down in front of her. Now just picture that God is becoming a man. Why isn't he, you know, standing over her? 
No, 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 no. He kneels down in front of this woman, and he begins to draw on the ground. And of course, we've all would want to know, what, what was he drawing? We'll never know this side of heaven. But this is what I, I, I saw this time. The God, form of a man, Jesus, is drawing on the ground. And I was reminded, you know what the hand of God did before? Wrote in tablets of stone that said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Is standing, is kneeling before the one who has committed adultery. Imagine. God, who says thou shalt not commit adultery, is now on his knee before the one who has committed adultery and says to the woman, where's all your accusers? She says, they're gone. And then Jesus says, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go leave your life of sin and sin no more. All of us are completely forgiven. So go sin no more. I think God wants to bring, give us back everything that the enemy has ever stolen from us. You know, Peter denied Jesus, as I said, three times. Within 24 hours after Jesus had been arrested, he denies him publicly three times. And do you know what? 50 days, 50 days after the moment that he had denied Jesus three times, God uses him to preach one of the most powerful messages that have ever been proclaimed. The day of Pentecost, where thousands of people actually came to know Jesus. People had come from all around the world, actually. They were in Jerusalem for the Pentecost, speaking in multiple different languages. They were going to go back to their towns and tell them about Jesus. Imagine, 50 days later, God uses Peter, who's got a messy past. I just want to say this morning, I feel like it's time to be set free. It's time to believe what God has said about you, that therefore there is now, currently, presently, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So I want to encourage you today, believe God's word, receive God's word, and walk out here a different man, a different woman than when you walked in here this morning. Thanks for listening, and consider joining us live on Sundays at 9.15 and 11 a.m. For our address, directions, and any other information, find us online at templebaptist.com.